and that this new God, this gets scary, and I, I really want to talk about this because I don't know it's true, but it could be that this new God is only now fully emerging in all of its glory, like right now, perhaps even in the form of the interweb, the thing that you and I are communicating on, which is, I think, becoming a type of noted body, node here being points of connection, creating something like a body. Well, hello, and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? Rabbits are the things that, you know, pop around on the interwebs. They reproduce often and fast. They're not just memes, but they're ideas that don't have depth. Well, I don't have depth, but we're gonna try, and that's maybe the mark of humanity, is to try to have depth here using history, philosophy, theology, the anthropology, all kinds of stuff. Using basically our little First Things Foundation platform where we go and spend two years overseas doing, well, small project development, but also this thing called introspection, which we're going to talk about today because today we're going to learn, well, I don't know what we're going to learn, but we're going to investigate because these ideas aren't fully formed. We're going to investigate meekness. And I think the concept at hand is, is meekness dead? On water. So, our word of the month at First Things is KP. If you've been following our media, which I hope you're doing, well, we introduce a vocabulary word from our work. KP is, it, is the word for, for March because it's in this month that we've now attained the opening status. We are ready to roll with the KP restaurant, at least there's one more permit or hurdle. And in clearing that hurdle, we'll open up KP, which is a Georgian restaurant, but really it's much more. It's really an attempt to manifest Georgian old world hospitality, which is at the core of our work, which is at the core of something I think that's associated, and that is the concept of meekness. At least I think so. These are very unformed thoughts. Well, let's put it this way. No, they're not. They have form. They're close to something like real, at least in my head. And I want you to come along today and see if we can figure out if they're real and worth entertaining. Is meekness dead? The story of hospitality in the old world. Three crazy stories to start. First of all, they're all from our work and from my experiences overseas. First, I was a... I don't know, a helper to a couple guys in Haiti. This is the turn of the 21st century, 2000, 2001, who invited us and our family down to help them start an Orthodox church. If you're new to this podcast, I am an Orthodox Christian. But there's a lot more to the story. In Haiti, you have this crazy mix of new and old, pre-enlightenment, enlightenment. America's right around the corner. Every Haitian authority runs toward building schools, including our church of eight people <laughs> in 2000. Father Jean was wonderful, but he was weird because he was Orthodox. And I was weird because I was Orthodox. 
I was surrounded by where, where there were white people. They were usually Protestant Christians. A lot of missionary stuff down there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back and check out our old podcast from two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where we bring on three authors uh, who talk about Protestant missionary work. It's fascinating. But to cut to the chase on this one, I was teaching in a one-room schoolhouse, which is actually also the church. We took about six to seven chalkboards, those kind that roll on wheels, and we created four different spaces within the church itself, and we taught. And I'm a teacher in part by trade. And I started teaching about basically humanities, and we did a lot of geography. And here's the story in a nutshell. Everyone was really good at geography, if geography is memorizing things. My class of like 35 kids in there, because they weren't all coming from the church, right? Where there's a school, people come. School is Western, and where people want Western there, they go to school. And I was there to deliver their Western ideas. And one of them was, hey, guys, what do you think of this? Hey, guys, look how close Russia and Ukraine are, yet they share the same culture, yet they're in a war. What do you think about that? And that's how I was taught to teach. That's how I teach. And that's not how they learned. Because whenever I said, how do you think about, what do you think about this? I'm not kidding. Those beautiful kids would not answer. They thought it was a trick or something. And I think it's much more as we're going to talk about today. But basically, I couldn't get them to answer. And they would just stare at me. No, but what do you think about this clash of culture here? Does that seem like a good idea or a bad idea? For instance, are North Americans the same as, say, Caribbean Americans? What makes them different? What do you think? Yeah, no. What they wanted me to do was teach them about what the right answers are. This was a data download so that they could prove well on the exam. And they aced exams. These kids knew more about geography than any of my kids in the States. If knowing more was knowing information, they were good at it. And it used to freak me out. There was something about their opinion that was not relevant to them. Here's another story. Uh, serving in the Georgian Republic, there was a civil war going on. My friends and I working at IOCC would go up the mountain and deliver flour to widows. We would identify widows who had lost husbands in that war. And in identifying them, we were identifying some really impoverished people. And guess what? When we found them, they would serve us. So the story of one woman who was shoeless, shoeless in the winter, she comes out of her house wearing socks, but those aren't good boots. You guys know that socks are bad boots. And her bad boots brought her right into my arms. She hugged me. She took the flower, like literally took the flower. This thing, usually two men carry this thing. And she and her sister and her daughter, two of whom were widows, then served us a massive supra, a capi. And we were bringing them the flower. And I cried like a baby watching them serve us. Talk about hospitality. Talk about meekness. Right? And they weren't really interested in all of our philosophical ideas at that supra. They just wanted to toast to the big themes 
and get it out there and then serve us food. You've seen that if you've traveled, especially to, quote, old world places. Here's another one that just happened recently. Daniel and Austin, two field workers in West Africa, were on the tour of a lifetime. Really, they were just trying to get out of Sierra Leone at the time of, this was at the beginning of, um, of the pandemic. Daniel and Austin traveled overland from Sierra Leone to fly out of Guinea. And in so flying out, they met some people on that very, very, very rickety bus that was, I think it was like 18 hours. And when they got off the bus, those cool guys they met on the bus, some young 20-somethings, invited them to their house. Daniel and Austin took the invitation. Now, what they kind of knew but didn't fully know is that they were going into, well, the worst slum in Conakry. But these were good people inviting them to a very tough neighborhood. Okay, that's fine. That's first things. They can handle it. And they did. Well, it was 2 a.m. by the time they got there. They walked off the bus and into this house where there were two beds and about seven men. People sleeping in this area. I might be exaggerating. Five. Well, immediately the two beds with two men in them, those guys got up and gave them their bed. And then slept on the floor. As the story goes, loudly. I think they were snorers. Yeah. But they just got up and got out and laid down. Meekness. Right? And if you ever, we'll link it. If you ever want to see meekness in action, there's a video on YouTube of an Indonesian young kid, maybe. A little skinny little kid. He's probably 13. These two tourists get caught in this this mud storm, basically, that overwhelms them as they're taking a, a walk somewhere in Jakarta. I don't know. And basically, this kid wades out into the mud to save these people, puts them on their back, on his back, literally, like they crawl out of the mud by standing on his flattened back. It's crazy. It's like humility writ large. It's meekness. And those old tourists... Those light people make it to safety, and so does the young kid. And he just waves and walks off. He doesn't ask for any cash, nothing. Meekness. So is this the meekness? Am I describing something in the old world, the very old world? Not Does this stuff happen in the new world? Of course it does. Does it happen in America circa 2022? Yeah, of course. But is that our cultural right, milieu? Do we aim for that? And am I describing something like the meekness of Christ? So one thing I can't help but think of uh, as someone experiencing many of these moments is that there seemed to be less chatter in the minds of my Haitian students, for example, or in the mind of those women who came out to... I don't know. There's less chatter. Like, what should I do? There's less rational conversations going on in the mind of the folks I'm describing. The guys in Guinea just hopped out of their beds. I don't know what this is. There may be some, a lot of me talk going on in there. There may be. But it doesn't appear that there's all that rationalizing going on, right? It feels more like these cats are looking for something like an obedient moment. What am I, what am, tell me what I'm supposed to do again. Is this true? I don't know. Tell me what I'm supposed to do again. That 
feels like how the mind is working in those stories I'm telling you. But I don't know, you know, but the way it was experienced by me again and again was a, a type of innocence. It felt like the meekness I was experiencing was something alien to me as a grown Western man. And that I was in front of something like a four-year-old. Now, if you want to paint me as Rudyard Kipling in some colonial white master man right there, you can. Because I'm just telling you. I'm telling you that there was a sense of innocence. Now, what does that mean for me? If you listen carefully, I think you'll see that's the problem of me. That is not looking down on them. That's actually looking up because of that innocence. Well, it implied that I'm lacking it because it was so gorgeous. Ask our guys who work overseas. It overwhelms them again and again. I was just talking to Anna, who's working on the Polish border with the Ukrainians. The way the Ukrainians are treating her is making her cry because it's so meek and humble. And it's nuts. So what is this? Is this related to the Christic phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth? What do they mean, inherit? Wait, like get it back from the proud? Is it a get it back moment? Something inheres in you. Maybe the meek shall inherit what has already always been. Right? Which is true humanity. They'll inherit the fullness of true humanity. What's going on? I don't know, actually. But you can go on the interweb. And you can start to pick some answers out. Or you can go into meditation, prayer. By the way, if you're fooled by the word meditation, <laughs> you can, don't be, don't be fooled. That meditation is prayer. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't meditate, I pray. Oh, okay. Fine. You win. You're not a Buddhist or something. Meditation is trying to slow down and be present, right? With God. Now, I don't want to parse it at that point, but if you feel like meditation is old world and prayer is new, then you're just doing new world praying, which is a different podcast. So anyway, online you can hear people try to address this. And I, I stumbled across this idea recently when Jordan Peterson spoke with Sam Harris. Uh, he's the renowned atheist thinker and writer, and basically now he's a dude dabbling in Buddhism. And those guys spoke about everything like they do for like a couple hours. But in there, something really interesting happened around minute 104. And that's Harris started talking about the I-me dilemma of how we talk to ourselves and how he catches himself talking to himself and how he says things like, I need to get some water because I'm thirsty. <laughs> and of course... That's normal. What happens to me, I'm sure it happens to you. And Jordan Peterson even responds, oh yeah, sure, for sure, for sure. It's a normal thing, he says. That's probably something like that hypothalamus talking to the prefrontal cortex, says, says Peterson, which he's just, he's the best. And also, is that what it is? 
Okay. Sam Harris eventually says something like, language is something that deeply defines our humanity, and once language gets tuned up, it never really shuts off. That feels maybe true, but it's interesting in a way that made me think that weirdly, those stories I'm telling you, those stories about hospitality and meekness, that somehow there wasn't that conversation. And it struck me that when he says, once language gets tuned up, it never really shuts off, that that doesn't apply to everybody equally. It made me think that we humans talk to ourselves in this way for sure, but that it may be that it's we new world humans. People like me raised on thick dollops of Freudian ego. I think it might be that we talk to ourselves in this way. Because the people I talked about earlier in those stories, I just don't know if they talk to themselves in that way. I don't know if they constantly go back and forth between the two sides of their mind or whatever. I don't know if such conversations, if they're actually just not marking out something like the outlines of an outsized ego. I think maybe that when Harris says we talk to ourselves that way, he means we, like you and me, Westerners, and that the ego is the thing that's in play. And I wanted to find out what New Worlders have said about this other voice. And basically, that led me to Julian Jaynes. Yeah, Jaynes is a famous philosopher. He is a, uh, a brain scientist, a PhD writing books on consciousness in the 70s. There is such a thing right now called the Julian Jaynes Society. It's not dead. And he, in his book, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind, he comes up with this, this idea that the old world people that we love to talk about on this show are the first of us humans emerging from a type of bicameral mentality. And, well, we couldn't think too good back then. We didn't have no good of a thought process. In some ways, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's actually talking about a mind that functioned differently, a brain. And in that brain, he said something like, the ancient mind processed without the meta-reflective ability. It, it couldn't really give an account to itself of the why. It acted more out of the what. In obedience to what? And so Julian Jaynes is basically implied, he doesn't imply, he says that ancient people lacked a metaconsciousness, an ability to think about themselves. And they lacked the capacity for executive ego functions. That's a direct quote, such as deliberate mind wandering and conscious introspection of mental content. Huh. Now, in case you're thinking, well, he's just some quack. Uh, no. 
He's not just some quack. This was a very, very respected. It hit a lot of nerves around the university world when his book came out. And so there's something in his thoughts we need to keep going with. But before we do, Andrew. Andrew's our producer in Russia. We should bring him on, right, to talk about what's happening in Russia. Andrew, put it on the list. We're bringing you on. People want to hear. Yeah, that's a that's a no-brainer. All right, people, get ready for that one. Play that music, Andrew. You should have been playing it already. Health and help. So health and help is one of our besties at First Things. They work to bring incredible, beautiful, free health services to people in far, far away places where there are no health services. Health and Help builds clinics to provide care for patients of every nationality, faith, and sexual orientations. Health and Help patients receive the necessary medical treatment regardless of their ability to pay for it. So we, first things, have partnered with them in Nicaragua and in Guatemala, and we'd love for you to help them right now because they are Russians. And Russians, as you know, are struggling because Russians, as you know, have leaders that have chosen war. What we want you to know about Health and Help is they're having trouble paying their doctors because Russian accounts are frozen. So go check them out. I'll put the I'll put the connection. I'll put the WWs in the pod notes. www.healthandhelp. That's with the sign and, not the word. Check them out. Health and help. So, back to our bicameral mind idea. According to Julian Jaynes, ancient people in the bicameral state of mind would have experienced the world in a manner that has, well, similarities to a person who is experiencing schizophrenia. He said it, not me. Yeah. So, rather than deliberating, say, you know, as Sam or as Sam Harris puts it, rather than talking rationally to oneself, old world persons would have hallucinated or told themselves about a voice, the voice of God. And that voice would have been giving commands to obey without question. As James asserts in his book, the bicameral individual was guided by mental commands believed to be issued by external gods. And so these commands were recorded in an ancient myth, right? And in those ancient myths, you see all these historical accounts of gods telling people what to do. He says this can happen. And as you can tell, if you read it, he says this happens in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, he says, does not in any way speak to this metacognition, introspection. The Old Testament doesn't sound like a modern person thinking to himself what he or she should do. As Jane says, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, quote, there is no apparent indication that the writers were self-aware. He also notes that gods were generally much more numerous and much more anthropomorphic in the old, old world. And then in modern times, right, bicameral persons have instead sort of begun to think of themselves as their own god. Like the voice in their head wasn't actually their voice. It was the voice of their God. What? <laughs> Wait. If 
I take this as truth, then the voice in my head, the one telling me to get some water, well, that's me, but actually that's not me, that's my God, because I am my God. What? Yeah, it's obvious. What's more true than that in 2022? I mean, just take any person you've spoken to in the last, I don't know, 11 minutes. Especially any person, say, under the age of, I don't know, you. They're not exactly looking to obey a command <laughs> in the new world. It's just true. But the weird part is, is James is asserting that it's true. Which is weird because he's a scientist. I'm not sure there's evidence. There's definitely some theoretical speculation. Well, and if this is true, back to meekness and, and hospitality, a person who is their own God isn't exactly grade A material to inherit the earth because that person has an oversized ego that he knows to be God, which seems to lend about a 0% chance at meekness. Right? Meekness, the innocence to do exactly what you're told, how does one even do that if they're their own God? Yikes. I mean, I don't know if this is true. I don't, I don't know. Do you think it's true? It, it's fascinating, though, that light people, the priests of the scientific revolution, are coming to the conclusion that they have to be their own God. I mean, is it possible that, the, that in fact the old world folks that I've been telling you about in my stories, the meek ones, if that's what they are, do they actually have a different voice in their head? <laughs> and if that's true, is that because the voice in their head isn't actually their voice, but the very voice of God? And if that's true, is my voice, my westernized light person voice, is that the very voice of the devil? <laughs> Heavy things, lightly. Of course, it's not very light if it is the devil sound in my head. That's not light, that's terrifying. There might be another answer to all of this. I mean, you can just take something like the old Christian answer, which isn't far off from a lot of other answers in the old world, but it's possible that simply everyone since time immemorial has a conscience because everyone is created in the image of the great conscience, God, and that some of us amplify that voice out of a desire to be obedient out of a desire to please the voice called God, and then others squash that voice as a way to create their own voice, amplify their ego, and turn it into their own God. It's possible that this has always been the case, and everyone's got to choose, and that the me God is a choice but not like always a very clear one, depending on the culture you're raised in, right? And finally, it might be possible 
that this me god process, this thing that's happening, the development of the me god has always been around. But for the last 350 years or so since the Enlightenment, a certain group of, I don't know, people, humans, a certain group on this planet, the light people, a certain cult, if you wish, a culture, well, they've been teaching the me-god methods and in turn have created a new religion that puts my mind on the seat of wisdom. Hmm. And that this new god, this gets scary, and I, I really want to talk about this because I don't know it's true, but it could be that this new god is only now fully emerging in all of its glory, like right now, perhaps even in the form of the interweb the thing that you and I are communicating on, which is, I think, becoming a type of noted body, node here being points of connection, creating something like a body. And I do mean a body, a cloud. And I think that cloud builds the me-god entity into something separate from all the little me-gods. Right? It's a far greater entity but still one based on the principles and presuppositions of the me religion. It's what has to happen. Something has to get higher than the creature, us. And that thing is being built. It's emerging. Okay. I don't know if any of that's true. Of course, you don't have to objectively do a science experiment in order to find out if something is true. That's only one way to find out if something is true in a partial way. But I want to talk to some people about this, including Jonathan Pajot, who's coming on in a couple of weeks. I also would love to get in touch with a couple characters in the Verveki world, because I think this idea is what everyone's talking about almost all the time. And we all do it in different ways, but it's the same concept. This new world O-word dichotomy can teach us about this kind of stuff. And it has taught us at first things because we've dabbled in it. There's still places left where they do not have that internal conversation the same way as Westerners. That's something I think you can say to be true. Well, the me God moment, it's definitely on us. I don't know what it means. Think about it. And keep, I don't know, talking about it. Go to our Facebook page. You can do that. On the Facebook page, we do some conversations. I jump in there. I try to get on once a week. Come to our restaurant where we'll have these conversations. We're going to have conversational get-togethers. We're going to have poetry nights. We're going to have live music. Right? Check out our, our field workers. Please, if you want to, come and work with us in East Africa. We're looking right now for two people to go ASAP. Next week, yeah, I'm going to try to have our audio version of the first chapter of our novel, my novel, Three Sold. Yeah. Basically, keep your eyes peeled. Join us at our website. Tell your friends. And start your sticker collection. We're going to have a whole... FTF sticker collection, a neat series of stickers on all that we do, including on our field workers coming out. Watch for that, and most of all, Gagi Marchos.
That means to you the victory. That's said at the KP table. That's said to tell you, may you have victory over all that ails you, including death itself. Hasta luego, Cambufo. Peace out. Nakvam dis. Much love.